to another installment of The Nylon Be Praised. I'm Jack. And I'm Joe. And uh, this week we are talking about, actually, no, I'm going to stop myself mid-sentence because we all, we did this last time where we forgot to include the Nymon quote. How could we um, forget our Nymon quote? So, Joe, what are, you're right, this is heretical. Remember, it's, 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 it's in it's, fact a sin that I have... It is our, our um, it's a t- goal to get through the entire Hans of Nymon script eventually. Yeah, it'll, but it's just going to get to this point where we're just doing boring lines like, I don't know, the Doctor says, K9, and that's going to be our quote of the day. Well, mine is far more exciting than that this week. Oh, excellent. What have you got? So this is the great journey of life. There you go. Oh. I'm so surprised we haven't done that I one before. <laughs> We've done most of that scene. Oh, it, you know, if we ended up quoting it again, I don't think anybody would blame us, really. I've probably the most imminently quotable scene in the entirety of Doctor Who. What's yours then? And that, uh, mine is at the very beginning of part two, when the Doctor is um, in the TARDIS with K-9 and says, Oh, come on, K-9, this is no time for emotional quibbling, you two. You've been a good dog to me, K-9. <laughs> the best I ever had. <clears throat> is that before or after he puts the rosette on? This is just before he puts the rose- that silly rosette on him, which I love personally, but also I know it comes up a lot when people are like, that, that show is getting too silly now. It's not taking itself seriously. Oh, I love that noise that TARDIS makes, that moing, 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 when it breaks down. Oh yeah, and he just leans in, and I'm not going to say the line, because I'm going to save that one for a later date. Ooh, keeping us on the edge of our seats. Mm. Why are we here today, then? You tell us why we're here today. That is a good question and one I was going to ask of you, but we are <laughs> here to discuss uh, a real a real favourite of yours. Oh, yeah. Um, which uh, I think in the general history of the show uh, does not necessarily get a lot of love. I don't think it polls uh, particularly strongly, no. No, but I feel like it gets a lot of uh, affect, affectionate love in the in a. It's very very bad, but it's also we love it. You think it's bad? You think the story is bad? No, I, I, I mean I didn't say that. I I'm quoting the fans. It's I'm six quoting episodes of pure delight. Yeah, I I'm quoting those poor face fans. Uh, Stu wrote I don't. The Doctor Who uh, official guide in 1981 or something. Do you know what? Mentioning that, I think some of those guides did some terrible damage to the reputation of some pretty good stories. Look at the gunfighters that everybody thought was. No, sorry. Everybody thought, oh, An Invasion of the Dinosaurs. That's two that were absolutely slammed in those books in the. I think it, it might have been the 80s rather than the. It was around that time. Um, and it kind of went into sort of the fandom consciousness that those stories were absolute stinkers and they've both been like reappraised in the last sort of two decades to much is the, gunf- is the gunfighters a musical it's not but it does have a song that plays throughout have you not right. you must have heard that ballad I have indeed heard the ballad so fill um, up your glasses and join in the fun 
See, again, it's Doctor Who not taking itself seriously, and people don't like that, or certain people. But we do, but having mentioned the gunfighters, I'm going to try and come up with a very seamless segue to our topic this week. You, uh, it does, it, in, aside from having the first Doctor, the gunfighter also is technic- is the debut of um, Peter, Peter Purves as a, as a Stephen. What the gunfighters is? No, 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 the chase. Oh, sorry, oh, we haven't mentioned the chase yet. Today we're going to be talking all about the chase. There you go. Let's be very clear. (laughs) Not the gunfighters. I had. Do you know what? I had actually completely forgotten that we hadn't even said the story dungeon. Well, we do tend to do this to like leave these trailer break break on without actually being very specific. Yeah, I was going to say this. This is the problem when we just keep drawing out the anticipation of what we're talking about this week and we, and we just forget we just forget we haven't told anybody i mean you, you uh, before we start you've only just seen the chase haven't you like recently oh uh, yeah i think i watched it at the end of last year i think uh, but it's been fairly recent i got given the dvd uh, as a as a christmas present from a friend who gave me the Space Museum and the Doctor Who TV movie as well, I think. Can I just say, I'm starting to think that your friends and family don't like you very much because the, vid- the DVDs you have been bought are the Myths and Legends set, the Chase yeah. and the Space Museum, and Mark of the Rani. Oh, well, you don't hate, hate me. Well, I was going to say, because you got me the... the um, uh, you got me the key, key, the key oh, to time box set. Well, you know. Thank you. But then again, that does have that does have. Um, oh, what's it? The big squid one. Power of Crow. We're talking about that soon. Do not blaspheme yeah, the power of Crow. Yeah. Oh, the fact that I didn't know its name, I refer to it as the, the big, big squid, squid one. one. <laughs> There's also a big squid in the chase, but we'll get onto that. Yes. Yes, yes. But yeah, in short, back on topic, uh, uh, I have seen The Chase, but quite recently, and it was a very surreal watch, it must be said. You sent me a message that just said, Joe, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) I think that must have been around the point when they're at the top of the Empire State Building and they've got all that stock footage of New York and they've just got the Daleks kind of turn up. You were astonished by the music, weren't you? The the jazzy music. Yeah, and uh, I think when we got uh, the brilliant Paddy Hazler to do our little theme tune, I think I sent him the the iconic do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
So I am in the um, unenviable position of defending the chase whilst Jack is going to do his best to destroy all my hopes and dreams with regards to this story. Oh, okay. I I forgot that was the gist, but I, I will I will gun it I will gun at you. I do have an opening statement about the chase. If you are prepared. The to debate hear it. begins now. Okay, here we go. From the desert of Iridius to the Empire State Building, from the Marie Celeste to the city of Mechanus, the chase is a non-stop thrill ride that dexterously moves from high comedy to history to horror to out-and-out science fiction. A story that is full of gripping ideas, such as being attacked by figures from horror, a chase through time and space, a deadly duplicate doctor, and all-out robot war. Assembled with striking ineptness by a director that would have difficulty putting together a school play, it transcends quality, and it really does and becomes a piece of fast-paced pop art with more belly laughs than an episode of 40 Towers. This is the ultimate Doctor Who comic strip with an astonishing emotional sting at its close. Well, I feel like you've already partially preempted me because when you say it transcends quality, I don't know what avenue of attack I have because I clearly <laughs> can't attack the quality of it. Well, it's one of those stories like Time of the Rani where it's clearly not very well made but it is still <laughs> deliriously enjoyable because of it is this one of those no this isn't one of those stories where william hartnell has a holiday midway through it uh i don't think anyone has a holiday in this one. Oh, everybody this is the story the of the season that they're all in every episode wasn't this wasn't this verity lambert's last episode as producer not quite it's i think this was where she kind of like had in the notice but she her last one was mission to the unknown so part of the oh. way through series three uh, okay it's probably just because i associate you know what i blame mark gators for this because um, in, in an adventure in space and time um oh it's uh, the web uh, planet isn't it they make you think no, but the I think Verity Lambert leaves at the same time that uh, Ian and Barbara leave. So I just conflated the um, two. I was like, Chase, Verity Lambert, they go together. So they um, go take a venture of the space and time with a pinch of salt. Exactly. I okay. So like the chase, the I chase. will give it the fact that it has an unrelenting desire to just go for it it just it, it, it's absolutely nuts it desperately just wants to entertain you and it has no no kind of well i mean i think it is trying to be um extremely ambitious and i do think having watched it over the last couple of days as a script like if this had a movie budget and a movie director this could have been truly phenomenal because it has a doctor who budget and a not particularly great doctor who director um it does the seams are showing in practically every scene i i have a question for you hit me i 
Because obviously this story is the story where Ian and Barbara depart, mm. and that is and that is a very big thing because they are two the two last remaining members of the original cast aside from William Hartnell, and um, they're kind of more so than Susan possibly. They're the eyes from which we enter the Doctor's world in mm. the very beginning. So their departure is a big deal. Does this story even? remotely work as a farewell for those characters um yeah i think so yes not not as in not the way they would do it in the new series as in building up to their departure because clearly it is just oh look here's a way we can get them home let's do it they and the actors want to leave but it's like a massive sort of whirlwind tour around the universe touching on lots of different genres that they've kind of gone through during their time it's it's almost like a, a microcosm of the last two seasons all in one story um so you would so i'd, I'd you would say, say in this story ian and barbara are so utterly relaxed and uh comfortable with traveling in the tardis now and everything that they face this is the point where they kind of had to go. I uh, I was going to say they are so comfortable. In fact, that Ian Chesterton just happily is like waving over sad dudes, Dalek. Daleks, <laughs> and Barbara. Oh my God, Barbara, warrior woman with her little light gun. When the just as they're about to take on the Daleks, she's like in a cave going, "Cool, we can start an attack force and pick them off one by one." And I'm like, okay, now now you guys need to leave. You are literally yeah. far too comfortable in these roles now. And you know, it, it kind of like it kind of sucks the drama when it's clearly just four actors that are loving their time together. And you know, it works for this story, but for the series to kind of move on, you need to bring in someone who's new to this again. Because I, one thing I will say is, and it was something I was thinking about when I. Uh, watched it for the first time was because um, I the, the only clip I'd really seen of the chase before I watched it was Ian and Barbara's farewell, mm. uh, which is actually quite quite lovely. It's beautifully um, done. Do you know what? It's it's probably one of the most genuinely emotional moments in the classic series. For those people that say there's no emotion in the classic series, these the last ten minutes here, the blow that their decision. Um, gives to the Doctor and Hartnell's performance, that kind of angry, never mind the misquote, that angry um, sort of, I'm not going to let you go. We know that's how Hartnell felt in real life. He didn't want William Russell and Jacqueline Hill to leave. So that's really genuine emotion on the screen. It's beautifully done. Mm. It's kind of mixed in with yeah. this very uplifting, lovely montage of pictures of the two of them on Earth together, you know, having reclaimed their lives. It's yeah, really and they useful. appear two two years later. They appear in like oh yeah, of course. How could I forget the famous line, London nine? Uh, what's it? London nineteen sixty five. Yeah. How can we get that right, but not the nine one be praised? I don't know. I, I I'm just I'm just clocking in. I'm just punching in my hours week after week. <laughs> but sorry, you were going to make a point about that ending. Uh, yeah, because I'd seen the ending in isolation and I thought it was really wonderful. It's a good ending. And you can kind of understand why they want to go because they, they, kind of, they really do want to get back on with their own lives. 
and they talk about like they've had these wonderful years of traveling uh, but they need to it's time for them to go um, and of course when they finally turn up and they're running around London it's just bliss and then when I watched the actual story I was just kind of like my only context beforehand was this really well done farewell to the original companions mm. and, <clears throat> and what did you think the rest would follow know. suit and be as kind of um skillfully executed i think the episode did a good job of letting the actors have an absolute ball yeah. as they're going out and i think that especially because you know those actors in the 1960s would have been working on an insane um uh schedule uh yeah, they, their schedules would have been nuts. So I think there is a lot of merit in letting the actors just have an absolute party as they go out. I mean, I, but the, it's a, the chemistry between the four of them in this story it is palpable. You can tell they are having a blast, man. And to me, that kind of beams off the screen. And you're in there with them. You're having a lot of fun with them. It's like it reminds me of, like, the better sort of 70s Doctor Companion lineups where they are literally just having a blast and you're just happy to go along with them, no matter what's happening, no matter how mad the story is. I don't think if you did the chase today, which is not even a Sorry, just a thought of that. <laughs> they could do a season, maybe, of the Daleks pursuing the Doctor through time and space. It's not a bad premise, but That's anyway. A, oh, um, hang on, hang on. A million. That is a fantastic in the in the height of Dalek mania. The premise of the Daleks on the hunt for the Doctor and his friends through the entirety of time and space, with the gap closing every time they land somewhere. That's a great premise. No wonder they wanted to make this into a movie. I I feel like you couldn't make the chase today as a farewell. Dalek story that doubles as a companion farewell no. and do it with the same lightness of tone no. because if it was a Dalek story today under you know Russell T Davis Stephen Moffat Chris Chibnall it would be a huge epic dramatic affair but now and nowadays when a companion leaves the series that story is about the companion or the companion and the doctor whereas this isn't that at all this is just a fun adventure where they happen to leave at the end. Fundamentally, it can't. Ha it couldn't happen today because the Daleks are not. Because the Daleks are, generally speaking, not treated so overtly as comedy knockabout villains. Oh, can we just touch on that, please? Because this is not. This is my segue into asking you: Daleks as comedy villains, does it work? Um. <laughs> It probably shouldn't, but it makes me laugh so much. These are Daleks with personality, which is very rare. In the, the, I love the thick one, the one who's like, uh, um, uh, uh, nine, no, wait, six, rouse. Isn't there like a really sassy one in the first episode yeah. that when they're at the TARDIS? He's got the really clipped voice. He's like the really like higher pitched one. Yeah. And then the other one is just like, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> they even, at one point, they sing a TARDIS song. They're all just like, TARDIS, 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 TARDIS. How could I forget? 
I think that must have been the, you know, there are so many moments in the chase where I could, could that could plausibly be the moment where I said, what am I watching? I have a theory is... about the Daleks in the chase. If you're willing a to theory. entertain me. Yes. Have you watched well, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I think you read it, haven't you? I have started reading it. I haven't finished the book. I've watched the Martin Freeman film. How am I going to um, tie the chase into the Hitchhiker's Guide? I hear you ask. And and I hear and I I have listened to for the purists out there. I have indeed listened to the original radio version of the series. So do you know the the section about the arcs that go off into space? The A arc, oh, the yeah, B arc, yeah. and the C arc, and the A arc and the C arc yeah. are really useful. And the B arc was all the you know the useless, the lawyers, the the middle management. I have a theory that the Daleks in the chase they're like like the B arc Daleks, <laughs> right? So they they've done the Dalek invasion of Earth, and all the A arc and the C arc Daleks are now planning the Daleks' master plan, and to get them out of the way, the rubbish Daleks are sent off, those are the chase Daleks, to pursue the Doctor through time and space. And they have no confidence in their ability to actually get this done. It's the only explanation, because this is the only time the Daleks have been this thick and this ridiculous. So they're just like, God, send send them off. Send them off in their own little spaceship. If they succeed, that will be, you know, a triumph. But let's be honest, they're probably not going to. So what you, your suggestion is is that the you know the Dalek Supreme is just going like no 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 we're, we're going to give you a super important job yeah you're going to be the one to chase the Doctor they're like what us yeah yeah you can do it <laughs> I mean and they clearly have a couple of the Daleks in the ship they don't even have the base of the Dalek they're just like it's literally from the bumps up it's so far oh man it's so far and how what other explanation could there possibly be for the fact that they create a duplicate doctor that looks nothing like the doctor <laughs> or that they're outfixed by frankenstein's monster these these are and the br daleks i'm telling you i mean they're pushed off the mary celeste as well if you watch the story with this in mind that this is like the rubbish squad of daleks that they've just got rid of it becomes really I... really enjoyable I, I, there was a moment where it pans down to the, the sign on the ship that says the Mary Celeste. And I was just like, they wasted, sorry, not wasted. They used up the idea of the Mary Celeste, one of the most famous lost ships in history, on the Daleks essentially running around the, the, the deck of the ship and being pushed off it. Yeah. Although, do you know what? I'll give them some credit for that sequence. Um, like the set's gorgeous, and they've got a set that's done in Ealing with like real water, and they try and do like an establishing model shot. I, I don't think the the execution of this story works, but I think there are efforts to try and make what is a, a crazy ambitious script to pull it yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They what well, they tried. That's all you know, that's that's what we can say. They did try. Now, it's they interesting you say that about the, the Marie Celeste because what about all those potential stories um on the time space visualizer? Doctor Who meets Abraham Lincoln, Doctor Who meets the Beatles. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah, and don't they they use like foot stock footage of them. Now, that first episode, 
Yeah. Mm. It is essentially like the TARDIS family, because there's even a sequence where you go through mum, dad, the annoying brat, Vicky, and granddad tinkering away with some technology. It's just the four of them hanging out and watching TV. Pretty much. And I was just like, what am I watching? I'm watching them watching TV. They're not even watching TV. They're just watching bits of history. Again, though, do you not think for children that would be a really like exciting idea, a time television? Oh, no. And it's clearly um, the, the idea of the time space visual, visualizer, a device or this really kind of retro looking object that lets you look at any other point in history. With the tiny TV in the middle. Yeah, uh, letting you see any point in history. It's a good idea. I know in some of the spin-off material, it's been used quite effectively. Mm. Like there was the Happy Death Day comic strip or whatever it was, mm. where the doctors are all trapped inside inside a video game being played by, um, oh, what's her name? The eighth Doctor's companion um, from the comic strip. Izzy? Izzy? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, the doctors are all trapped in, in a game she's playing just casually on the time space visualizer and there's a book by uh, it's called campaign i think it's oh, by um, yeah. jim Ortimer. yeah who exploits that idea and just makes it the most horrifying concept in the world and also there's um, a little scene at the end of the one doctor isn't there where the doctor and mel are watching the queen's speech yeah, on which, television which yeah. they which they do, uh, they do, they watch a little bit of Queen Elizabeth's speech, don't they? Now, my question is this, is this a very confident yeah. show that is willing to, I don't want to say waste, uh, enjoy an episode with its regulars just hanging out and having fun together and watching TV? Or is this just the worst possible way that you can open a story? Oh, I... I think Doctor Who by this point was operating on a lot of goodwill. Uh, not unearned goodwill either, um, but like, you know, it, it had been, it was, a, by, it was a very successful show at the time and, you know, people liked those characters. Um, so I think it had the goodwill behind it to justify having an opening. Which Relaxing is just, for a yeah, of them relaxing and literally they go out sunbathing. Yeah. Uh, on the, <laughs> Sorry. The, doctor's, the, doctor's, the doctor's like, what's that awful noise? That's no way to talk about my singing. I am. Um, um, and they just lounge around because <laughs> kind of injured. And if you like those characters, it's wonderful. And in some ways, even though I'm, I'm like, it's a weird, it's a. Uh, it's not necessarily the best way to open story. It's it gets away with it simply on the grounds that it promises and delivers, if not delivers well, a bunch of really crazy shit later. I mean, I personally don't think the chase actually begins until episode two, or at least like the last couple of minutes of episode one. That first episode is it is literally just at home with the Doctor and Chums. Yeah. And even the Daleks turn up, and even they're kind of rubbish because you have that Dalek coming up through the sand, which is a cool redo of the image from the Dalek invasion of Earth. Except he comes up through Why the sand. Why is he given like, such a hard time for him? He's in sand. He's just been covered by this massive storm. Of course, he's, he's got sand in his gills. 
<laughs> you know? See, if if they if they got the A Daleks on the on this case, they oh, would have been man. like in you know, some kind of they would have been in some yeah. kind of like magnetic bubble that bounces dust particles away from their grills. You think you're sort of digging out of that sand, thinking, "Oh man, why is it always us?" <laughs> What I did this last time, yes. they always give me this. I was the one that came out of the water in Dalek Invasion of Earth as well. I was choking on seawater for weeks. But it, I suppose it does then um, use the visualizer as a way of establishing the premise of the Daleks going, ah, we're going to chase after the Doctor. And the TARDIS, and then and then the story's kind of like hits it, doesn't it? In the last couple of minutes. Yeah. Then you get the essentially the rest of the the episode are just a bunch of really crazy vignettes that almost have nothing to do with each other beyond the Doctor is running away from the Daleks, so they're materializing in, in random, random places. places. Yeah, but I don't know. Like the Keys of Marinus, like the Key to Time season. I really like the way it bounces from like one genre to another, one tiny little story to another. It's it's a show that has the capacity to do that, to tell very kind of varied it, stories within a story. Yeah, it's certainly. I suppose it's a good microcosm uh, to, of the show of showing the range of where the TARDIS can go. was saying you can almost imagine it, it gives you a, a microcosm of the range of locations of crazy locations and TARDIS can go to and it 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 I suppose if like I can imagine kids in 90 in the um like kooky monsters like Frankenstein and uh Dracula and uh, uh mechanoid you know christmas baubles and daleks um and they're all there on the cover you're like whoa this show can go anywhere do you think this um, is a story so that actually that is designed for children do you think like you know it is a, it's very kind of childishly executed and written it's kind of big comic strip ideas throughout do you think this is sort of one where the the kind of the adults wouldn't enjoy so much but the kids would get really excited you know duplicate doctor robots at war um you know ideas like that Oh, I definitely think it's an episode. It's like this is going to be one that thrills like our younger audience, and then and then like I feel like anybody else in the audience who's cr criticizing it, it's like a bunch of like men in tweed with pipes going, "Yes, well, the children enjoy this story because of the escapism it offers. It doesn't tie to logic or rationality. The plot is a, 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 a it's a tonic for their imaginations." <laughs> I think I was. Oh no, that wouldn't have been Sydney Newman. He was Canadian. No, he would have been like, ah, Daleks, they're back. I, I believe in the special features, uh, Richard Martin, the director, although I, I question if this was directed, um, says that Sydney Newman damned this story with some very harsh criticism um, upon watching, you know, some of the stuff that was coming in, and Hartnell blew his top. Like, um, screaming, really? yeah, apparently he was screaming, you know, oh, I've got to work again. 
I've got to work again. We've got to get this right, you know. Um, and it is interesting that the show gets kind of very serious and uh, far better executed, I would say, from this point on uh, in season three. So it's almost I, like they've um, been told to pull their socks up and they listened. I I think you can pitch this story either as the the story yeah, as a children's fun, wacky adventure romp, or you can pitch it as the story the cast is most likely to play the bloopers of at the Christmas party at the end of the year. And that's you know, that not the bloopers made it into the story, for God's sakes. It's not even like it's on the gag reel. I uh, I was gonna I was gonna ask something. I'm trying to remember it now. I was gonna ask um, you something. Oh, we're at an impasse here. We're just gonna sit here for the rest of the podcast. Going. I'm gonna ask you something. Question. Well, the Maya beast. So the the big beast that's on the planet Aridius, pulsating in the dark. Is that the ultimate ballsack Doctor Who monster? Because that's exactly what it looks like. I. It's up there by virtue of the fact that I think it only has one other competitor. Are you talking about Erato now? I I dare not speak his name. <laughs> I, if I if I mention him, he will burst out of my cupboard and try to crush me with his giant green testicle sack. <laughs> I'll be like Tom Baker going, oh no, down I go. I mean, um, I mean what but, did you think of that, that, that whole sequence with the Iridians? Like, um, they kind of have very sad, saggy amphibian stockings and these rubber masks that sort of ride down their faces the more they appear on screen. It's, it's kind of, given some of the civilizations we've seen so far, it is very half-hearted. Let's say it is definitely there is so much material in this story for people who are like this show is dumb nonsense. Why would you watch this? There is plenty of fodder for that in this story. Nothing wrong with dumb nonsense. It's nice to switch your brain off every now and again. Absolutely not. I it would be it would be against the spirit of this podcast to agree with that. I guess what I'm saying um, is, do you believe in the planet Iridius and the Iridians and, you know, the tragedy of their story, the seas that have dried up and the deserts that have taken over with the deadly Maya beasts invading their cities? Or have you kind of forgotten all that? To be honest, I have. <laughs> You you had me in a real pickle a second ago when you're just like, oh, tell me what you think. And I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> the famous creatures <laughs> that I remember so well. Oh, dear. But I'm sure there are, I bet there are set pieces in this that you do remember. How could I possibly forget Doctor Who runs away from Dracula? Or the the fabulous high comedy of the top of the Empire State Building. I I do not understand how this show in any way thought it was a conceivably good idea to have Peter Purves doing a, a cod cowboy accent. You are in a chase, and just and it's the Daleks 
even if they weren't being deliberately, if they were not deliberately kind of making fun of the Daleks themselves, mm. like their, their behavior is deliberately comedic, then that scene absolutely kills them. Because I mean, Peter Berg is that, I, I don't right think that's Terry Nation. I don't think that's Terry Nation. I think that's Dennis Spooner who script edited this. Take, I think he's poking Terry, fun at the Daleks. Because when the Dalek comes yeah. out, he literally just bursts into laughter, doesn't he? Yeah, he just he's just he's just having a ball. He's just like <laughs> Do you remember what he says? You came over in blue spots. <laughs> it almost makes you wish you could see that see that scene in colour. <laughs> oh, it is it is I I mean it is crazy over the top. But I don't I think okay. I'm going to make a case for these set pieces. I don't think we're, we kind of are with them long enough for them to be dreadful. And I think the way the story bounces from one to another means it's really hard to get bored with this story. You know, like you're constantly being given something new all the time. Talk, talk me through that. What a, in, over the course of six episodes, where, where do we go that make this, make its flaws so forgivable. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not saying the kind of how it's executed is forgivable. I'm just saying that because we do hop from little story to little story and we don't, re you know, cause six episodes on Iridius, six episodes on the Empire State Building, six episodes <laughs> in the Haunted House, they would be interminable. But kind of, you know, 15 minutes in each of those places, it's not so bad, you know? I'm just trying to picture the version of the story, which is six episodes of, of these, what do you call them, B-Arc Daleks? Yeah, the B-Arc Daleks, yeah. Uh, struggling around the Empire State Building, six episodes of them. I thought that was Daleks in Manhattan, Evolution of the Daleks. Yes. <laughs> no, it turns out those, those Daleks have been trapped up there ever since. <laughs> oh, no. They're still on the roof. That would explain a lot about that story. <laughs> They're pretty rubbish as well. Uh, I um, I'm gonna say again. I just can't get over the fact that they were just like, let's let's just make this a Hammer horror, a bad Hammer horror film in the middle of the story. As you see now that that episode, I think that's that's one I struggle with personally. Um, but I, I I think that's one of the better executed episodes. I think that set is really quite impressive. And they are trying weird little tricks, like inventive tricks, to make it creepy. But it is essentially them just walking around a house. Yeah. And I don't know. I I, I do remember the thinking, what? What? Because what? all of a sudden, Barbara and Vicky just get, they just are terrified. Yeah. Mind you, Ian is as well, isn't he? He tries to send the doctor off into the laboratory ahead of him. There. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's actually quite funny. I mean, I, I, I think it's all very funny, um, either deliberately or inadvertently. Very funny. I mean, there's a bit in that sequence I, where I, the Dalek is um, in the back of a scene before they've arrived. That's how poor the direction wait. is. The Daleks haven't, their, their spaceship hasn't arrived in the haunted house. And there's a Dalek behind the scenery in the haunted house. 
I, I don't remember that. Yeah, it's when they go down into the laboratory. He's behind the um, the portcullis, and it's waiting for the scene where the portcullis comes up, and the Daleks like, "Where are the time travelers?" Also, those Daleks must be absolutely light because Frankenstein just picks it up and smashes it. Oh man, that's, that that whole sequence is so awkwardly done. <laughs> But again, I don't know. It's it does make me laugh. It really does make me laugh. It it, it I can't imagine children. Oh, maybe they were. Maybe they were scared at the time. I don't know. Well, the thing I never entirely got was the concept of where they had landed. Because they don't they say that doesn't the doctor say we landed in the realm of fear that is inside all of our minds. <laughs> The most wacky concept, yeah. We we we've been what is it? All the nightmares of the human race, like brought together. And what's brilliant about that is he's never dis- disabused of that concept. He goes off thinking that's where they were, and then the camera just pans round after they've gone to show that they're in a fun fair in Ghana. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's the best, probably the best joke in the whole thing. Oh, I'd, I'd forgotten about that actually. But wait, if it's an actual fun fair, why is Dracula in there? Why? Why? Why is? I think they're supposed to be robots. Like a... Oh, it's in the future. What's really funny is Ian like it doesn't buy it for a second, and he's going, you know, oh, but but but, and the doctor just goes, I won't hear it. I'm right. You know, it's one of those times where the doctor is so so wrong, but it's very funny. Mm. But here's the thing. It is always incredibly funny when you have someone going, no, I am right. This is the only way this story could possibly be right. And then it turns out they're wrong. That is always funny to me. Like, what does the doctor think that that could happen now, you know, randomly at any point? They could just end up inside the, the collective consciousness of humanity. Yeah, I, you know, I can picture, like, this really overwritten monologue for probably Peter Capaldi going, we have, a, we have appeared. In the, just, in the gestalt of human intellect, all the fears of humanity are before us. You'd probably, they'd probably be able to tell that story really well now, wouldn't they? <clears throat> and there's been, there have been more outrageous premises, I would say, in new series. Yeah, I was going to say, it would probably be incredibly convoluted. Okay, I have a question for you. Go for it. Another question. Um, well, so obviously there are some extreme tonal shifts in this story um so like you get the very relaxed kind of uh almost domestic i would say drama the domestic drama of the first episode you've got kind of like the cod science fiction of episode two then we're into what's technically a historical then we go into horror and then we move into, like, oh, I would say hard science fiction, but I, I think that's kind of what they're going for. And do you think the, the show is confident enough to make those shifts kind of seamless and, and not jarring? Or is it just all over the place? Is it completely schizophrenic? Um, it's a good question. I think it does get away with it but that has more to do with the flexibility of the show's own format 
and the competency of the storytelling to paper over the jars, the jarring transitions in tone. Um, I don't think I don't think really any other show other than an anthology could survive that kind of whiplash yeah, from one part to another. Um, and it's it, it works here because it is essentially an anthology of silly romps that the show is going on across time and space. So it has no real obligation if it doesn't want to to kind of go to be consistently dramatic. Um, What's interesting uh, is that is they did this again a year later in the Daleks Master Plan, but aside from a few comedy set pieces in like the middle episodes, they took a like an extremely serious approach, and it's absolutely riveting. But it is essentially a a, you know a, a jaunt through time and space with the Daleks pursuing the Doctor. So it's almost like this was like the dry run for the real thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just like you got the. It's like light and shade. You have the chase, and you have the Daleks' master plan. And I know which one I prefer, but I I know which one I enjoy more as well. So I prefer the Daleks' master plan. It is a brilliantly written story with a god agonizing climax. Uh, but I enjoy the chase more, just because it is literally just enjoying itself weirdly <laughs> i feel like you if you put the uh, ending with ian and barbara in dalek's master plan it would probably feel a lot more dramatically suited and justified if, in a story like that of that scale when well when there's been like the murder of two companions <laughs> proto companions yeah, it would be like Tegan leaving at the end of Resurrection of the Daleks. They'd, be, they'd, they'd have a motive for going beyond we want to go. Yeah, or do you think that would be too grim? Do you think Do you think it, 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 their, the, the drama of their departure works better in oh, a story like yes, this? Yes, I think so, yeah. Although, we're, interestingly, in the very next story to the Daleks' master plan, The Massacre, the same thing happens again. There's a you know a huge body count at the end and a personal loss for Stephen, and he does choose to leave then. So and and it is really really gripping. Like it is one of the most genuinely dramatic moments in the show's history. But I don't think that's right for Ian and Barbara. I think because they've kind of gone on this journey of humanizing the Doctor. I think a, a gentler kind of um, departure is is a, is a lot more suited for them. I I have a question for you. Going off that, then, mm-hmm. because we've talked a lot, we've talked a lot about how this story is like a big party for the actors mm-hmm. as they go. Um, does it work dramatically speaking to have them depart in this story? considering for all intents and purposes, this is a story for the, where the actors are clearly having a ball and are having so much fun. Can you, can you, does it work that they leave in this story? Because surely if they're having so much fun, this is a story that proves that should be convincing them. This is so much fun. We should keep going. Um, I feel like they've had a wealth of, stories before this you know they've been in in the show a long time you talk about the characters or the actors 
the characters. Oh, I think it's a lovely way for them to go out. I think I think uh, going out on a party is a really nice way for them to go out. Um, there are are there other stories this season that they could depart in as well? God, I mean, imagine if they left in the Space Museum or the Web Planet. That would be that would be that would make the Space Museum have a very iconic beginning and a very iconic ending, as opposed to just a very iconic episode one. And it, I mean, it feels right that the kind of the Daleks are in there to see them off as well, given that that's been a big part of the success of this. Yeah, I, I suppose what I'm asking is for their characters, does it make does it feel earned that they want to leave in a story where their characters are clearly having an absolute ball and are just loving all this time? Because they, they be as we said, they begin the story just enjoying each other's company. Uh, and clearly, they're comfortable and happy. Can you, is oh, this the story that's where the, you can dramatically the sell drama. the idea that actually they? Is this is the story where you can dramatically sell the idea at the very end that suddenly, yeah, we want to go as after you've had all this time where they're, uh, they're, they're having, having a ball and oh. hanging out with each other. Well, to be fair, throughout the story, even though it is told in a very comic way, there are supposed in inverted commas, to be very dramatic moments, like, you know, losing Vicky, like um, that bit in the end of episode five where they're trapped in the cave and they all think they're going to die. I, I don't think... I don't think the tone of this, it, the way it's directed so comically, was the approach that perhaps Terry Nation was going for with the script. So I think perhaps this is supposed to be a death-defying death ride through time and space with the Daleks on their tail. Um, you know, when you kind of look at it that way, of like, oh, God, we've been chased through all time and space by these people that want to kill us. Um, we've faced all these deadly dangers, and now we've got a chance to go home. Kind of makes sense, but it, it doesn't make sense yeah. within the tone of the story, where they are having right. such a jolly time. Yeah, I but I mean, I suppose for them, it's a, it does kind of sell the idea that they that, that this is their one, this is a shot for them. Mm. This is their shot to get Bearing home. in mind, he has been trying to get them home for so long, and it just hasn't been a possibility. Mm. But then you could okay. technically put that spaceship in any, you could kind of find a way for that spaceship to be in any science fiction themed story couldn't you that 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 the race that they meet just happens to have time travel and at the end there's a spaceship available it didn't yeah. have to be here but they but i'm glad that they did i actually you give me an idea for another question for you mm. uh, do you think a serious version of the chase where it is played straight do you think that version would theoretically work? Absolutely. That's what the Dalek Master Plan is. It's a serious version of the chase. Yeah, it, it did work. It worked extremely well. So absolutely. And I think had um, a third Peter Cushion movie been made, which was going to be the chase, that's, that's what the, you know, it was only because um, Dalek's Invasion of Earth 2150 AD bombed in the box office that they didn't make the third one. I think this would have translated superbly into a movie. Mm -hmm. 
I think because it does have that scale. Yeah, it does have a lot of ambition to it. But, but throw a load of money at it, you know, execute it with panache, and I, I think the strength of the story. Obviously, you'd be cutting out all the flab, all of the you know the comedy side bits, the visualizer. You'd cut all of that out. That just get to the heart of the story. Yes, you could tell a very gripping, like ninety-minute serious version of this story. So, do you, in in a way, considering the lack of resources they had at the time uh, to pull a, a script of this nature off, and uh, a, a director who was as you put it, was kind of struggling to convey this story dramatically and thrillingly. Do you think then, given these restrictions, it was in fact the only, it was in fact the literally the most sensible choice to play it as as a kind of yeah. comedy? Yeah, to make, uh, to make it as entertaining as possible, yeah, rather than... As, to, as, do you, do you, so do you think the comic tone they go for papers over its faults a lot better than if it had played itself seriously with those same restrictions? The, comi- I think the, it, I, the comedy and the interplay between the regulars, I think, papers over a wealth of faults in this story. Because I think I would agree, I agree with the implication of my own question. Because um, I think it... it Especially in, like, you know, uh, this, I mean, obviously the chase was never redesigned uh, with an eye for it being watched near probably 50 years later. Um, it's, it was not built for that. But it, in, in 2020, and uh, it, it, uh, it earns a lot of goodwill, I think, and a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, willingness from the audience to excuse it by the fact that instead of taking itself seriously, it has a, it laughs at itself. It laughs at the show a little bit in a in a very affectionate way. It is. It's almost like a parody of its of the show, isn't it? This it, yeah, it plays out which, as, which is with, uh, you know, it's all kind of caricatures. You can't really take any of it particularly seriously. Which I imagine is why a particular section of fans don't like it at all because it feels like it's taking the piss a little bit of well, the I, show I, itself. I personally think the funniest moments in this story are where it is trying to take itself seriously, like the scenes in Meridius, <laughs> like like the the bollock monster breaking through that polystyrene wall. You know, they're trying to sell this as drama, but it is farcical. I I got I've got uh, another question for you leading into a different part of the this story. Is like mastermind, go on. Yeah, uh, your, your score will be revealed in the end. Joe Ford is the chase. Question one. <laughs> Joe Ford. Joe Ford. The chase is on. Who directed the chase in nineteen sixty-five? Richard Martin. Ah, there you go. You you did it. That's a hundred pounds to you. Before you ask that question. Bank that question. I just want to say one thing about Richard Martin. Did you just tell me to bank that question? Bank that question. Yeah. Keep it in your head. All right. I, I am baffled by Richard Martin because when he is on location, he directs extremely well. And he does in this story and he does when he's in Ealing 
in the final battle between the Mechanoids and the Daleks, that is really dynamically directed. And in the Dalek Invasion of Earth as well, where he's on location there, those scenes are absolutely iconic. And yet when he gets into a studio, it's like he has forgotten how to direct people and where to position people and where to put the camera and, and how to make anything look, you know, fluid and seamless. It's, it's horrific, his direction. God, when he did the all studio web planet, it is just painful to watch six episodes of a man who just just doesn't know where to put his camera. He comes out on the DVD with all of these excuses about why he didn't have time, he didn't have resources, blah, blah, blah. In this season, you have two Douglas Canfield directed stories, um, The Time Meddler and The Crusade, and they are stylish and they are beautiful to watch. Regardless of their merits as stories, they are seamlessly executed. I do not buy the excuse there was no time and no money because other directors at the time were creating beautiful looking stories. I think it is the talent of the individual director, not the time that it's made. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant, but it really does irritate me when people kind of point to these stories and kind of put the blame on when it was made. There are stories made at the same time. Douglas Canfield directed the Daleks Master Plan and the episodes that exist are gorgeous to look at. Obviously, you can't level that at the chase. It, it, the, the, the level of ineptness in the execution, it's mind-boggling. Oh, God, I'm supposed so, to be defending this. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, you're taking we, the, the, how the tables have turned. This was my plan all along. <laughs> Sorry, what was your question? That's my rant over and done with. I am trying to remember it now. I kind of got swept up in your uh, in your uh, affection for stories that go against the grain in terms of the cliches of the era. Um, the, the long and the short of it is, Richard Martin's a crap director, <laughs> and and you know you could throw all the excuses under the sun, but there were non crap directors making Doctor Who at the time that looked really good. So in that case, the inadequacies of the direction are excused because of the charm of the cast? Oh, the, the cast do wonders, absolute wonders. But, I mean, part of the, the charm of this story is how appallingly it's directed. <laughs> you know, like, like Time in the Run, this, this shouldn't be how Doctor Who is being made. But... What... what Sorry, oh, sorry, I'll let you finish. No, well, no, it's, it's it, it, you know, Doctor Who should be flawlessly executed. No one's going, no one's trying to make a bad piece of television. But the fact that it exists and it was broadcast and watched by 10 million people, I still think it's absolutely wonderful, you know, that the, it, the show recovered ten, from it, this. Yeah. Was it 10 million? Pre pretty much uh, across the board. I think it's between 9 and 10 million for every episode. Oh, shit. Okay. And the show kept going. What is, in that case, what is your favourite example of bad direction in this story? I mean, how long have you got? The worst direction in the chase? 
Um, okay, I think I think the worst the, the worst thing is how many production errors uh, like that he managed to keep in because you just didn't see them in like the Douglas Canfield directed stories. So there's a sequence where Vicky and Ian are supposedly walking into shot of this desert vista, which is a backdrop, and their shadows are extremely visible on the backdrop. <laughs> there's a sequence in uh, the, the caverns underneath where one of the extras isn't supposed to be in shot. So he's in the back of the shot and he realizes he looks straight at the camera and then he like tries to run off really discreetly. <laughs> um, I tried to remember that. The sequence where in the Marie Celeste, the Dalek falls off the ship and opens up and it's, he's clearly, there's no operate, there's nothing inside. It just, the top falls oh. off and it's empty. Oh, that's iconic. I, that's burnt to my brain. I love that. The, the, the pre-mentioned Dalek that is in the haunted house before the Daleks have arrived, that's, that's just unforgivable piece of visual storytelling, unless the Daleks are part of the exhibition, but that's never stated. I, I have a real, I'm not sure if you really count as a production error, but I do have a deep soft spot. They talk about it on the bonus features, I think, of the fact that they get, when the Daleks are all leaving the spaceship, it's the fact that they have like two, <laughs> four Daleks and they're all going around in a circle. In a circle, yeah. Also, so I don't think you're supposed to realise that. I the kids are supposed to think, oh, there's at least a hundred Daleks coming out of that spaceship. And all of them are idiots. They're all dumb. But what really shocks me every time is how good that Dalek mechanoid fight is. It, oh, oh, yeah, when they're all going on fire. And it's like overlays and suddenly they're being shot from below. It's all on film, so it looks really glossy. There's flames shooting out of the mechanoids. There's close-ups on the Dalek eye stalks and the guns. It's just suddenly like a drama. It's, it's really dramatic. Yeah, oh, no, I do remember getting to the fight sequences. I was like, what the? There has been nothing near this level of standard of action and, like, innovative camera work and fire and fury in anything beforehand. And that's the thing. I don't think there's any action in the series before, before this point as good as that set piece. And mm. it comes at the end of this story, which is, like, stitched together so poorly. I, I love that sequence as well, because that's where that famous photo of Verity Lambert lighting a cigarette using the mechanoid flamethrower oh, yeah. comes from. I love, I love the mechanoids, and I think that's a really nice, simplistic design. And the, the shot of the mechanoid city, I, I don't think we've seen anything... Um, they're, they're really trying to suggest like a sense of grandeur and scope. And yeah, you, know, you can see it's a model, but... It's really beautifully designed. I, I think the mechanoids yeah. are. I, I think after the Daleks, they're probably like my favourite robots in Doctor Who. Oh, are you being? You're telling me it is not the Movellans? How dare you? Well, you know, I mean, they are very beautiful the Movellans, but no, I just think um, because of the simplicity of the design, this really funny bit where. Two mechanoids are both trying to go down the same corridor and they bump into each other and their little arms come out as if to say, get out of my way. And then they back off and then they both go forward again and it's like two people having an awkward exchange. 
That, that, that is the real mechanoid fight I want to see, the one where they're just kind of like slapping hands at each other. But um, I, I do appreciate in that last episode the attempt to try and like solve the plot in a in a quite a dramatic way, you know. They didn't have to really. There's nothing beforehand that, that kind of suggested that that's the way this story was going to go. Uh, actually, uh, this, having mentioned this part of the story, because this is the uh, the story that introduces the character of Steven, is mm. that correct? It's a lovely, um, it's like you, uh, in the Avengers, there's a, an episode where Mrs. Peel and Tara King meet on the stairs. And it's almost like one hand in the baton to the other. And that's what happens here. Yeah, we should. I should hastily clarify to anybody listening who is not familiar with the Avengers. It's like we're talking about the original Britain oh, TV yes. show, sorry, as yeah, opposed no. to like the Avengers, the Marvel Cinematic uh, movies. But yeah, sorry, continue passing the baton. Yeah, uh, well, and this is what happens here between Ian and Barbara and Stephen. What actually I re- I realized watching this time was they have a really nice when all three of them are together. I would have loved to have seen a few more stories of that. I think Stephen would have complicated the Ian Barbara relationship quite nicely. Certainly, if it yeah, was written, think- if it was written by Rusty Davis, it would be you know the, <laughs> the romantic love triangle in the TARDIS. Yeah, I was going to say if it was if it was up to Russell, there'd be like so much sexual tension. But Peter Purvis is instantly charismatic. Um, you can see straight away he's companion material. Well, he's basically the only character that's appeared in the story, so. Nonsense. What are you talking about? They should have left with the cowboy. Well, that's the same actor, isn't it? Exactly. They should have ditched Stephen and gone with the cowboy. <laughs> you mean we're traveling through time and space? Yeah, every single episode that character is in, they save the day <laughs> just by having that cowboy laugh at everything. Imagine, okay, he would have been in the story with the monoids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be funny. You know, like, anything can be resolved by that character. Oh, then like, he'd be the in the planet. He'd be in the gunfighters. He'd be perfect in the gunfighters. It's set in the Middle West. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, you're right. They, oh, they oh, missed such a trick. They could do it. The Big Finish could do an unbound Morton Dill series where Morton Dill comes in as well. <laughs> It'll be, it's a box set and like I don't know Jackie Tyler's in it for some reason <laughs> and uh, Linda from Love and Monsters yeah just, just all these <laughs> random people we're going <laughs> the gunfighters re, redone are you suggesting that Big Finish throw together a load of random characters rather than telling actual stories no, they all have they all have a reason to be there. I'm sure it's just always funny whenever you just see one of these box sets and you're just like, okay, cool, that character's that that. And there's Every like one master, you know. Yeah, and then there's also one character which is so so off, such an off kilter choice. You're just kind of like, I want to find out why the Candyman is in this box set with the with Paul McGann. Please. Oh yeah, and the latest one, which is like um, the Doctor, Liv, and Helen, plus the curator from Day of the Doctor, and a, a, a B character from Torchwood. Oh, it will turn up that it'll turn out that the it's not actually the curator. It's actually I don't know. By all accounts, that box is very good. So what do I know? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've had good reviews of it as well. It, it turns out the curator is actually just a Slovenian in disguise or something. <laughs> oh my God. So I, I live for that story. <laughs> what? Oh yeah. We were talking about, yeah. Oh, um, sorry. The Morton Steven, deal. Steven, we mentioned. That's what we were talking about. Oh, what about even Stephen and Morton deal? Oh, that split screen. Well, you know, you, you remember when like William Hartnell around, oh, we need to talk about the robot. We do need to talk about yes, the robot. Yes, we do. Um, when he was like, apparently William Hartnell was pitching the whole son of Doctor Who idea oh, yeah. and he would play both parts. Why did nobody think that we could do this with Peter Purves? Well, he could be his brother, I guess. Yeah. Or like his centuries old great, 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 whatever grandfather. What, um, what do you have to say about Jupiter Doctor? Because I will say again, this is another, like, child-baiting idea. This is a really exciting idea. A duplicate doctor that's set to infiltrate and kill the doctor and his friends. I I love it so much because of that one shot where the it's so clearly not William Hartnell who comes out of the cat seal. The one shot? Are you serious? Uh, there are countless shots of, of Edmund but Warwick. It, but it's that shot where he emerges from the smoke and one of the Daleks was just like, there you, you, there, you can tell no difference between this and the original. Paramount success is what they say. <laughs> I told you, they're the BR Daleks. Yeah. Somewhere like the Dalek Supreme is reading like the mission log for oh, the story. Going, it's like, stalk is like flopping down, like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, why did we give. We shouldn't have given them the 3D printer. That was a bad idea. <laughs> that was on, on me. Do you know what's interesting about the fight scene between the two doctors? Oh, yes. In the, the, uh, that story, that episode's called The Death of Doctor Who. What a great oh, title. Oh, it's such a good title. There have been so many times where I've seen that. That's it's like a meme now, where it's just like I don't know some creative decision that someone puts like in the caption. Some creative decision, like Colin Baker uh, quits Doctor Who. Next up, the death of Doctor Who. Do you think that's like the oh, ultimate um, clickbait title to get you to watch? Absolutely. Oh no, because episode one is called the death of time. Yeah. How does that make any sense? In epi- wait, is that episode one? Yeah. Or is it two? No, episode two is the executioners, I think. Episode one, I swear, is the death of time. What? When did that happen? I think, Joe, jo, you're not. You need to think about this less literally. It's about the death of time because nothing really happens. <laughs> you're talking metaphorically. Okay. Yes, of course, of course. Didn't you know, Joe, this is a very highbrow piece of television literature? <laughs> well, of course. I, I, I have written, a, a, you know, a two and a half thousand word review on the story. There um, is a metamodernist masterpiece of art commenting on its own creation. <laughs> Or just taking a piss out of itself. But what's interesting about that fight is Hollow is vicious. If you watch him, he's using that cane and he's battering Edmund Warwick. Like, um, do you know what I think? I think because the movies had already been out at this point, he's like, 
you know, obviously Cushing was chosen for the movies rather than Hartnell because he was doing the TV show. He's like, I'm not having any more fake doctors. And he just lunges in and batters the hell out of him. Yeah, it's kind of like he's going like, what, you think can be the television old man? Doesn't stand a, stand a chance in a final, I'll show you wrong. That is an odd thing about Hartnell, is that sometimes he's like portrayed as this doddery man who, like, who's really kind of slow and at other times, like in the Romans, he's literally dueling with assassins and tossing them out of windows. Yeah, doesn't he say in one story that he was trained by some really famous swordsman? It says, what is it, the mountain... Oh, I the know, mountain I something remember. of Montana or something. Yeah. I, and I think, yeah, they basically do that again in Robot Sherwood with Keith Peter Capaldi, where it's just like, oh, yes, I was trained how to fight with a spoon. <laughs> anyway. But, um... It is another exciting idea in a story that's full of exciting ideas. Now, whether those ideas are executed well is, I was going to say it's here or there, but it really should be here. But No, it is definitely, it is definitely there. It is <laughs> way out there. Okay. Yeah, All right. Okay. To see where there is. To kind of summarise your experience of the chase, how, how would you pull your thoughts together? You know, I, I've used this description to you before when I've, I, I said, I, where I, I'll say I enjoyed it immensely. I did enjoy it immensely. My enjoyment of it does not translate into it being even a remotely good bit of writing. But there are, but there is, I think there is a lot more merit to it than people give it credit for. I, I like, agree as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, in production terms, I know we've we've like slagged off the direction. I think the TARDIS and the Daleks. I really noticed this watching this time are shot extremely well and quite quite stylish. No, no matter what I've said about anything else, I think those two elements are done really really well. And there are efforts to to try and uh, realise the scale of this, like the Mechanoid City, like the long shots of the ship, uh, the haunted house set. Um, Jesus, the people inside those fungoid costumes, I mean, they're yeah. highly... Yeah, the real heroes of this story. <laughs> There's one I... bit, you know, where the Dalek goes, um, he's attacked by a fungoid, and he turns on his mate and he goes, have I sustained damage? In exactly the same way that you or I would go, oh my God, has he ruined my hair? It's so funny. <laughs> oh, no, not again. <laughs> This always happens. Oh, that's really, I, they sing a bit in that jungle as well. They're like, advance and destroy, destroy and attack. They've got like their own little kill the doctor song. Yeah, this is a, uh, it's like number one on the Scarrow radio billboards. <laughs> Do you think that's like a whole top ten list? <laughs> Next on the top ten, we have Dalek Sex, new number one hit. <laughs> oh, blow up the TARDIS. It's like, oh, what? It's like, and next, now on the Scarrow, we have, it's that weird nursery rhyme they recite in Destiny, Seek, Locate, Exterminate. <laughs> oh my god, someone should do a remix. That would be so funny. <laughs> 
Psych. Allocate. Exterminate. <laughs> and then, you know, you just, you cut links to the Dalek city and there's just two Daleks, like, doing, I don't know, they're working controls and they're just like, they play this song all the time. I hate it. And of course, and num- shoot the radio. number one is Doctor in the TARDIS. Exterminate. Oh, sorry about that. That was a complete tangent. Distressed. <laughs> Dave Ross in distress. Let's all answer his SOS. Yeah, it's, 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 they're trying to find him in stasis. It's like, where is he? Where is he? We must find him. And next up is the number one charity single on Scarborough. <laughs> a crowdfunding treasure. Oh, I don't, I don't know what charities you would even have on Scaro. Oh, um, oh, God knows. I've, I've lost the plot now. <laughs> It'll be like something like so that you know, Dalek Unit C one sixteen can have a replacement plunger after seventeen years on the front lines. <laughs> oh, I've, got, I've just remembered the point I was going to make. In the midst of all this madness. And that is what you just said there about it being really enjoyable, but in no way uh, competent. Is Doctor Who, I was meant to bring this up when I talked about Time of the Rani, is Doctor Who one of the few shows that is extremely enjoyable when it's bad? I, uh, I, on the whole, yes, I, I'd say so. There are certain, I think there are, I mean, it's, I don't think you can apply that as a blanket statement to the whole show. Uh, since I'm sh- there are obviously episodes that you, you can watch back now and you're just like, oh, I don't think so. I can only but think of like three though, where I say, you know, classic stories, where I say, you know what, they are really boring. The rest, even when they're bad, and that, uh, very quickly, it would be The Dominators, Underworld, and Terminus. Are they the only three times where I... And hilariously, we've already done a podcast on one of them. Indeed. It'll be a long time Um, before I rewatch The Dominators. It'll be a long... It'll be the rest of my life before I rewatch Underworld. But generally speaking, like, Doctor Who's told on a very grand operatic level that you can kind of coast by on a lot of goodwill on the you know the charisma of the performances uh how overdone the dialogue i'm talking about bad stories now and just and just how kind of generally imaginative they can be as well i i think i think sometimes when you're watching the class oh oh, this feels like i'm i'm taking I, at least as far as the bad stories go, I think a lot of them are always immensely enjoyable. Mm. I think a lot of people are very quick to be very ashamed of the silliness of the show, especially in its in its objective, it, uh, abjectly bad stories. It's a, it's like. We want to push them. We want to. Everybody has the impulse to show everybody Genesis Daleks because it's the best and it's great. But um, uh, but even in something like Genesis of the Daleks, everybody talks about 
you know, do I have the right? Or, you know, um, uh, the end of the story when the Daleks shoot Davros, mm. or this will be a moment that will live in history, all that stuff, or Sarah Jane on the rocket. Nobody ever likes to talk about the giant clans. <laughs> no. And, but but that is the show. Yeah. Even like in in its best stories, there will always be something blatantly ridiculous. There will always be something abjectly silly. <clears throat> and similarly, in its you know in its I, a lot of the stories we think are crap. Um. In uh, a lot of them, I think there is more goodness in them than s- some of the fact. It's stuff like you know. Um, the, the gunfighters or stuff like the chase there is stuff in there that you're just like this is good um so you you'll go through the chase and you'll find a really awesome fight sequence with you know these weird rectangular christmas baubles mm. uh, <laughs> yeah uh, um in amidst all this silliness um are so you, it's a two-way street that as doctor who fans we are extremely forgiving of shit I don't think fans are. I think they should be more so. I think they should be proud. I I know this sounds like I'm getting a soapbox now. Okay, are are we, you and I, are we very forgiving of shit? I think we are. I think we are. I think we're more than forgiving. I think we love the show for that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Objectively, the chase is quite bad. It's one of my go-to I want to feel good stories, though. Maybe because it's quite bad. And but it's and it's bad without without and it is still entertaining and you'll still leave having a good time. And you know, at the end of the day, I think the show is is can be an entirely legitimate success if at the end of that episode you can go. I had a wonderful time watching that because I, even with the show's best stories, they will all seem a little aged and dated by, by the eye of the 21st century. Um, So even the good episodes are fall under that same kind of view that, that that eye that strips away at things. Uh, Like I watched, um, this is my this is my part of the podcast where I'm getting on a rant. Um, uh, but like you know, I watched City of Death <laughs> with I think my dad, and he got to the end of it, and it's like, well, that was crap. I was like, what? That's like heresy. That's like this is one of the great Doctor Who stories, and I'm sure we've watched something else where it is objectively much worse than City of Death, and he's going, I had a ball with that. Um, so I think the perception of what is stellar in the classic series and what is terrible, um, it's there. I think, I think we, we, we make a greater measure of, of difference between the two than the casual viewer. I think, I think the casual viewer would probably take most of classic who and say, yeah, you know what? That's not particularly great TV. Especially comparing it to what's coming out now, you know, certainly next year. Yeah, in the streaming golden age of television. Um, Saying that, if we didn't have it... Oh, sorry, go on. But I I feel like the best case you can make to those kind of people is is to kind of 
embrace that and go, sure, come and watch it anyway. You will have fun. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a good approach. I mean, some people just won't. Some people would would just say, you know, if something is not executed flawlessly, then I'm I'm not going to watch it. You know, it's it's bad telly. Yeah. I also think as well we need we need the chases to recognise Genesis of the Daleks. You know, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But again, I, I watch the chase more than I watch Genesis of the Daleks. And I think it's because for me personally, I I like the sillier side of Doctor Who. And I do think that's something, uh, as an adult, God, you should embrace it, you know. Imagination, yeah. silliness, colourfulness, I don't know. If, I, I just can't imagine just watching the Ambassadors of Death, Genesis of the Daleks, Heaven Sent, Midnight. I know what a dra- I mean. They are great stories, but what a drab world that would be. We need, ah, uh, you know, madness like the Pirate Planet, like yeah. City of Death, like like the end of the world, the end of the world, like Aliens of London. You know, I well, yeah, you know, I watched HBO's Chernobyl earlier this year, um, and it is an astonishingly good television series. Like it's astonishingly good and I got to the end of it and I was just like that was amazing I don't think I could make myself watch that yeah. again for an incredibly long time um, um, I'm, I'm a bit like that with the rebooted Battlestar Galactica it is mm. phenomenal television but it is so fatalistic it is so grim I don't have a particularly good time watching it even though it is great television. Yeah. And particularly, you know, because I think at this point in this podcast, it is very apparent that this show, Doctor Who, in case anyone was curious what I meant by this show, is our favourite show in the world. Of course. Um, um, But I I, I couldn't, I don't think I could watch it and come back to it and enjoy it again and again and again if it was just you know, the big heavy hitter classics and the, uh, with the fact that it is, a, it, it, the show has the freedom to do something as mad as the chase yeah. and do it as badly as the chase does <laughs> and still come out with the biggest grin on its face. I think is I mean, a wonderful thing. We, you could almost say the same thing about the horns of nylon, you know? And I'm sure we will when we get there one day. But you know, like, it's all part of this really wonderful eclectic whole, isn't it? And I think the reason why we can talk so much about that, as people do, is because there's really good stuff. There's really shit stuff. There's lots to compare, contrast, you know, explore, analyse. I'm basically saying we need the chase in the world. <laughs> the Doctor Who would not be the same without the chases. Yeah, like at the end of the day, if there are worse things in the world than, you know, the chase, and if the chase made you laugh, then that, there are worse things that could happen. Or, okay, I would sum this up with, what's wrong with just having a good time? Nothing at all. <laughs> um, Nothing now, we, at we all. need to wrap up shortly, so... 
Um, I think we have discussed the merits or otherwise of the chase fairly well. Why don't you tell people what we're going to be doing next week? Because this is a story I love. Now we're going to talk yeah. about a story you love. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would like to add that we, in one of our little breaks, we, I, I asked Joe, I was like, what are we doing next week? And we'd both forgotten what story I was supposed to be defending. So this one was improvised on my part. But as soon as I said it, Joe, Joe was just like, well, we got to do that. So I am going to be making the case for the mid-series, uh, the Series 6 mid-series finale, uh, A Good Man Goes to War. Oh, sorry. Which, uh... <laughs> I what was that noise? I think someone opened my fridge. That was somebody um, hissing. That hiss, it sounds like the ice is melting. Oh, um, mid-series and, six. <laughs> and this will be interesting because this is in one of the divisive series of a series I don't I can quite enjoy on the whole, but Joe, you really don't <laughs> or generally don't like. It's by um, far my least favourite series of the new series. More so than Series 7. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I think there's a run of decent episodes in Series 7. Series 6. I, uh, really but, yes, this, this, so next week might be a bit more like the boxing gloves are off. So yeah. who knows? Maybe this podcast, maybe the finale of this podcast is coming out. <laughs> because maybe we just won't be friends at the end of next week. Oh, that like we've happen. Yeah. yeah, we've had this huge harmonious note of, oh, you've got to love, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly and Doctor Who like the the crapness and then next week which is like that we didn't mean any of that on that note we have to sign off i um and we'll find out next week if that's actually the case and can we sign off with our great mantra the nine won't be friends oh for goodness sakes i give up it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Honestly. The quest is the quest. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week.